Welcome to the IAH podcast, where we profile fellows of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities here at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm communications specialist Melissa Clay. In this episode, Philip Hollingsworth speaks with Oswaldo Estrada, Associate Professor of Spanish and Chapman Family Teaching Award recipient. Professor Estrada recounts how Maya Angelou and Gabriel Garcia Marquez influenced his career as a literary critic. He also emphasizes the importance of preparation and flexibility in the classroom, as well as the challenges of the writing process. What are your favorite moments in teaching, just in general? When, when are you most excited in the classroom? I think I'm really excited when I begin, you know, with a personal anecdote that, I mean, students all of a sudden are so attracted to that personal story. See, teaching is such a personal thing to me. I always have to talk about my life and about my own experiences with literature, and then all of a sudden people want to talk about their experiences with this random book or something that they, you know, watched last year. I mean, sometimes people don't want to talk about literature, but they want to talk about films, for instance. Right. And that's okay, because there's something similar about both both literature and films. And I don't know, that's the, that's the best part, I think, when you realize that you're using literature or films or culture to talk about really personal stuff that matters a, a great deal. You know, I always think that we use it as as an excuse to, to talk about deeper things. Not that literature is not deep. Right. What's a book that changed your life? Hmm. I can mention two books, I think. Uh, the first book I ever read in English was I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. And although at the time I didn't understand probably a third of it, and I'm being generous here because uh, I didn't speak English very well. You know, I came from Peru when I was 14. There was something about the story that attracted me to it, the fact that it was about an African-American woman. The, the story had to do somehow, I know this is weird, but with my own life, issues related to otherness and marginality and, and, and also empowerment in, in, in many ways. And that's, I think, how I started liking literature when I was in high school yeah. here in the United States. Uh, you can only imagine what I felt when I was already in college and I started reading 100 Years of Solitude, for instance, by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I could really identify with the story, and all of a sudden it was mine, and I could see my own family embedded into <laughs> yeah. the, the narrative. And I think that's that's how it all started. I think I started liking literature because of Gabriel Garcia Marquez after I read that novel, uh, canonical novel, 100 Years of Solitude. I started reading all of his works, and I became in love with him. And and I think that you know because of books such as that one or any of um, Vargas Llosa's novels, I became more and more interested in literature. I never thought I would actually become a, a, a literature professor um, and not at UNC, but here I am. <laughs> yeah. So did you have an idea beforehand of what you might want to go into? As a good immigrant, I mean, I was born in the U.S., but I, uh, my, both my parents are Peruvian, and I was raised in Peru. When we came back and I was 14 years old, I knew that I had to go to college, and my family knew that too. 
Not that we knew how to get there necessarily, right? right? There were other things that I had to learn, like uh, I had to learn English, for instance. I had to learn about, you know, I, I knew nothing about American culture. When I finally made it to college, I was supposed to, you know, of course, become either a doctor or an engineer or something like that. But the truth is that I didn't like any of my chemistry classes or biology or, or math. And I was sort of lost, like most undergraduates. And I decided to take Latin American literature course just for fun or to improve my GPA. I don't know. Right. You know what I was thinking when I was 18 or 19. It's taught in Spanish. So taught in <laughs> Spanish. Yeah, and that was the thing. And I was sitting there waiting for the professor to show up. And when the professor finally entered the room, and started saying, hola, que tal, como esta, blah, blah. I thought, that's what I want to do. All this time I've been wanting to uh, you know, be a doctor, become a doctor, because that's what my parents want. That's what my family has wanted all my life. But I hate that. And, and, and this mm-hmm. is what, but I, of course, I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> right. I just started taking that class and other classes. And I think that by the time I was a junior, one of my, I was in office hours, and one of my professors said, so when are you going to declare you know, Spanish as your major? And I said, oh, no, I, don't, I can't. Uh, this is not what I'm going to do. I, I, I'm supposed to be a doctor. Yeah. And, and she started laughing. Yeah. And I was, of course, you know, terribly offended um, <laughs> because I was only taking this for fun, really. She said, but you love this. And, and it was true, and she was right. I, I do love literature, and I, I wanted to start, you know, I wanted to study literature because I wanted to feel closer to my own homeland, to feel closer to my language. I was taking, like you said, you know, a class in Spanish, all, all these classes in Spanish, and and that gave me a sense of empowerment, of you know, pride. I was, you know, this is my culture, and it is taught here in the United States. And even though I am an immigrant and I am the other, I, you know, when I'm in this classroom for 50 minutes discussing any literary movements, I feel like I'm a part of an important culture and a part of something big. By the time I was uh, a senior, I already knew that I wanted to become a professor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I mean, that was clear in my, in my mind. I, I, I knew it. I didn't know that it would take a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and at first I would have to get a master's and then a PhD or what that would entail, right? Um, having to write a dissertation. But I think it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. What's the best part of your day as a professor? I, I prepare a lot before I, I walk into the classroom. So people say, oh, he's a natural. He's so entertaining and, and he tells the stories. Uh, students, you know, when I read my, my evaluations at the end of the semester, all, students always appreciate my, my stories and my storytelling. But the truth is that I... Um, None of that is really spontaneous. <laughs> I spend yeah. a lot of time mm-hmm. preparing, going over, you know, some of my jokes, you know, in my head. And I'm, I know it's terrible, it's like right, that I'm confessing this, no, but okay. but it's true. I, I think about it. And then, of course, I change it all uh, once I'm standing in front of a group of students or sitting around a seminar table. But I spend so much time doing that that then when I'm finally there, I, I'm... I'm so excited to be with the students, to be discussing my ideas and then changing my whole world around because of your own reaction. Right. right? Um, How long did it take you as a teacher to do that dance of really good preparation 
and then being willing to scrap it. You know, I learned during my first semester as a TA because one of my professors would give us the best and, you know, most amazing examples of how to create dialogues in Spanish with our students. And she would bring uh, this cartoons with no words, right? And so we were supposed to create uh, the dialogue or, or the professor would, you know, sort of model for us, you know. Mm -hmm. So-and-so went to school using this and that. And then it was funny, entertaining. It was amazing. And, and she was a great professor. When I tried that <laughs> and using, you know, the same cartoons, the same stuff that I learned earlier that day in my own classroom, it didn't work. And it was flat and nobody would laugh because I don't like cartoons, you see? Right, And yeah. so quickly I learned that that wasn't my thing. And, and because of that, because when you're teaching and you have 30 seconds of silence or 60 seconds of silence, that's a long time. And it is sort of like acting and like performing, right, for the yeah. students. So because I didn't have anything else and I hadn't prepared other stuff, I quickly learned that you know, you really have to improvise. And you, you might have a clear lesson plan in your head, a set of uh, anecdotes and jokes and narratives, something that you want to share. And, of course, you have your textbook and, you know, your novel and what have you. But teaching is all about being there present in the moment and changing certain things at the last minute because you know that this is not working. It might be clear in your head, but then you look at a student and – your student is totally confused, and you can tell, and she's not saying a word, but you can see, you know, or, or you've said something, and somebody over there is rolling, you know, his or her eyes, and you're like, okay, maybe I need to explain this in a better way. Yeah. And I think that's what teaching is all about. What does the writing process look like for you? I think that I've changed. I used to think a lot for hours and hours and days and weeks and months before I ever wrote anything. And I think it's a way to procrastinate, right? right. <laughs> you, you, you say, oh, no, no, I can't write this paper or this book chapter because I still need to read this. And, you know, so many things have mm -hmm. been published on ABCD that I, I, I'm still reading. And, and, you know, actually you can spend a whole semester, two semesters, a whole year reading. Um, I mean, you've written a <laughs> yeah, dissertation, yeah, yeah. so you know what this is all about. Uh -huh. I've heard those um, same conversations. <laughs> I've said it, and I've heard other people say right. it, too. No, I can't do this yet. I've got to keep reading. Mm -hmm. But at some point, you realize, I mean, A, because you have a deadline, you have to complete this chapter article, that you really have to, you know, sort of sit down and just do it. It is painful. I don't, I don't care how long you've been writing, whether, you know, it's your first semester here or you're a very accomplished professor who's written so many articles and books. I think that it's always a painful process. Because you're, the idea is here in my head, but how do I sit down and make it happen and let it flow, right, naturally? What I do now is that I try to sort of set a page limit. So I say I'm going to be reading and, and doing this, you know, for the next two months. And I take some notes here and there. And then I sort of set this goal by, say, March 1st, I need to begin writing. And then at that point, I say... I have the the goal of writing, say, three pages that day, which sounds like nothing, right? I mean, when I tell my family, I wrote three pages today, they're like, that's it? <laughs> I, I recently edited a collection uh, of essays, Senderos de Violencia, Latinoamérica y sus Narrativas Armadas. The book is really in interested in bringing academics to discuss, really, how do you represent violence? How do you represent horror? 
how do you represent, how do you overcome political difficulties? And I think that literature provides an excellent medium in order to accomplish this. And so we take a look at novels and short stories, but also some critics look at films and photography and also performances that deal with Latin American violence. What does like rest or relaxation look like for you? <laughs> it's probably a bad time since you have a newborn baby to ask that question. But So now that we have Elena, our daughter's name is Elena Alegria, I, I spend most of my time uh, rocking her and singing. I actually love to sing. As, I, I don't know if you know this. I did not know that. Um, but... I, you know, singing with friends. I've actually performed with several friends here in the area. So that's always awesome when, when you can get together with a group of friends and create music. I wish I knew how to, you know, paint, how to draw my ideal world. I think that I would have loved to be a writer, to be, you know, like a creative writer. Yeah. But I either never had the talent or the, the time or... Or the discipline. I think that you have to be very disciplined as well to, to be a creative writer. And I have a lot of respect for, for creative authors. But when I'm not teaching or writing or taking care of my daughter now, I love to cook, for instance, and I love to entertain at home. And so that's, that's another passion. So there's like all these other things that I do, like you know, singing, cooking. Yeah. Um, that that most people don't know of. I mean, if right, if yeah. you're a student of mine, uh, and you know, come to think of it, you had us over for dinner at your house one time. I think we ended oh, you up, see, we ended yeah, up they, I did cook for we you guys, up, yeah. yeah, and we ended up singing, <laughs> and we ended up singing. There you go. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot. That was great. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Check back at iah.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website, as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IAH underscore UNC.